0: Hi, everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat Kpop. Lots of news to get to, so we are just diving right into it. Story number one, I have to talk about my twice concert experience. I go into it more in depth and provide exclusive images, a highlight reel, tons of goodies if you are subscribed at 17kpop.substack.com. It's a free newsletter post up now with my full twice concert recap. But this version, the podcast version, I'm going to talk about some highlights, which I also get to in the piece, but also a few lowlights. Ten things total to note, three lowlights, seven highlights. Overall takeaway from TWICE's concert on this ready-to-be world tour in Chicago night two, it is so not comparable to their past tours. Like from the TWICE lights world tour, this is just so different. And that's what really excited me, that's kind of the thesis of my concert review, is that they really surprised me in a positive way. After so many shows, sending some of these songs a bajillion times over the years, they somehow still kept it fresh, and that was really just kind of awe-inspiring to watch. They really were born to do this, they're such great performers. The way they keep things new, despite being on a fifth world tour, they've done this so much, but they still don't bore me. And this ready-to-be show was just so different from the Twice Lights tour. They had a live band for the first time on this tour. They had a mega medley of hits. Those songs that we know and love still that they're probably sick of, we got to compromise and get to hear parts of them. And the way they did Roulette, where they spun the wheel and the encore songs were whatever they landed on. I'm curious what Twice's encore songs were where you were I had a feeling the wheel would be rigged, so they spin the wheel and it always ends up at the same songs, but that didn't seem to be the case between Chicago Nights 1 and 2. If it really was genuine, what the wheel landed on, that's really impressive to just on the spot perform whatever it lands on. Even if it was rigged, though, it was entertaining, and I think that's a good idea to, again, keep things new, shake things up for the encore. Highlight number two also has to do with the encore and the show period. How much they interacted with the crowd, I was really impressed by. Groups that do a lot of synchronized dancing and a very tightly paced, prompt show. I mean, this thing started pretty much 7.30 on the dot, ended at 10.01. So they are very prompt and to the minute they schedule this stuff. So for them to still take time to kind of just roam the stage and make eye contact and hang out with fans like they would interact with friends, seemingly unrushed, and not keeping an eye on the clock, that was really cool to see and surprising. Number three, the visuals of it all. Truly, this was a visual feast. It was next level, the giant backgrounds, like this dark castle and then a lighter interior palace the way they had these ladder-type structures, they had enormous amounts of streamers, confetti, etc. It would be hard to miss, at least from my view, like you had to go home like you had bathed in streamers. There was no chance of you missing out on that. Lots of sparklers and light changes and, and of course the synchronized moves that never failed to amaze me, so the spectacle of it all was just so fun. Then there's the fact the fans themselves kept it interesting. I forget at their shows, they do this all the time, so make sure you remember to not take a bathroom break when it nears the encore, because that intermission segment where they have the audience camera and dance-offs between people, one of the best parts of a Twice show. You can't miss it. It's so funny. You never know who to land on, and everyone's just such a good sport about it. Some of them, it's like, you go, and they know all the moves. Others, it's like, you go, because they don't know any of them, but they wing it, and they still just play along There's no party poopers for that segment of the show. And it was quite fun because Patrick Starr showed up. Yeah, someone dressed up as Patrick Starr in Chicago. And that I don't have words for other than you do you, I guess. And they probably wanted attention, which they got doing a dance-off. So you go Patrick Starr, I guess. Yeah, you never know who you're gonna see pop up at a TWICE show. So the crowd was quite amusing. So one, interactions with fans, two, the visuals of it all, three, all the confetti, streamers, etc. four, Patrick Starr and other fun surprises from the audience, five, the way they kept things fresh, six, the set list and the order show framing, and seven, the solo stages. This show really flew by. I really think the structure was smart. Group stages, then a few solos, then a few group stages, then the other half of solos, then more group stages. The back and forth kept it really fast. And I like that they did do kind of half songs. Because at first you hear, oh my gosh, a nine-member group and they're each doing solos. But they each do like half a song. And I kind of like that. It kept it moving really fast. It made you, it forced you to appreciate and soak in every second you had with your bias thriving in their element. Like not a second you were distracted... You had to cherish every second and appreciate each member in turn. And I'm a Nayeon biased person, still am, but I must say Jihyo blew me away. Her performance of Nightmare truly stunned me. Like, she belted that out. She took me to church with that and made me believe it. Plus her long hair extensions, I believe they're extensions, that long black hair on her, really, really cute. And she just had so much solo star power. I am so freaking glad Twice renewed their contract, so don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to imply she should break away from the group, period. I'm just saying if she had that inclination, which I'm glad she doesn't, but if she did, she has what it takes. Like she could sell out big places solo. She has big star power solo. So August is going to be her month. So excited for that and to finally then get the studio cut of Nightmare, which is fantastic. I also really appreciated Jaehyun's Juice by Lizzo cover because of just how relatively carefree she looked. She's one of the members who looks more serious more of the time, but she just looked very happy and content and confident singing Juice. That song got her in the zone. It was really nice to see because I remember she was overwhelmed and cried a bit on the Twice Lights tour. I think it was happy tears. she was overwhelmed in a good way by the fan response, but it still made me worry about her a bit and there was no tear for her this time. She was just having more fun, I think. If you were curious, the encore we got was Rollin' and then Signal. Yeah, we won. Although honestly, Touchdown would have been my top choice. As for the three lowlights, honestly, I'm gonna say the same stuff I've been saying about k-pop shows, because the same issues I still have every time. The lack of pre-show bugs me. Seventeen, do it right! You have a music video countdown, so as the chronology continues closer and closer to the present day, as the music videos they show get more recent, the hype builds and builds, and you get more excited knowing you're closer to showtime, other artists should do that. Or at least have other videos playing in any order, make it a pre-party. Not like the bad DJ set the NCT 127 show, but a different kind of pre-party. There's a way to build up hype better than nothing. No effort. I also just have issues, I'm sorry. If the United Center wants to sponsor me, I take back all of this, but with the acoustics of that venue, sorry I do not like going there. Their acoustics just are not the best. It wasn't really made to be a concert venue, There are just certain things about the sound in that place that never feel quite right. It was not made with live performances in mind. So some issues with the mixing are, I don't think, specific to Twice's tour. It just bugs me sometimes how big some K-pop acts are getting because I preferred seeing them at smaller venues before they got so big. Yeah, and Hyphen will be there too, SMH. I'm also going to say what I said about NCT Dream Show, which is I just want more transition videos that are comedies. I've officially decided. There are different types of VCRs between segments of K-pop shows, some just kind of dramatic, some are just kind of blooper reels, different types of ideas for interludes. But because you can get so many dramatic posing sessions online throughout photo shoots and fan edits or whatever, I've really just developed more appreciation for the groups who go all out with like a scripted narrative sketch. The full, in-depth mini-sketches, those I've learned to appreciate more because they're just so distinct. I can't just go online and find that original idea anywhere. I wish they leaned more into that as opposed to the dramatic posing, which I could get on Instagram any day. So those are the main lowlights. Quite a bit of it just kind of outside of the group's control, just setting specific and atmospheric. That can be kind of unpredictable. And I just say that just for the sake of full transparency. On the whole, it was such a good show. I'd probably give it a 9 out of 10 because it was just so, so impressive. Like I said before, they are just really good at this and never fail to stay compelling. And the show made me better appreciate and revisit certain b-sides. Go hard? Brave? I mean, come on. Totally switching gears now, we have to talk about main topic two, what the heck is going on with 50-50, the new girl group, and their agency issues. As of recording time, this is the state of play. I will keep you posted with developments in future episodes, but here's what I know. There are a couple of companies involved here. Attract. ATTRA KT and Warner Music. Warner Music did strike a deal with Attract to rep 5050, joint management. Now Attract is implying they were duped, and actually Warner is just trying to full full on just poach the group. Just totally in violation of their exclusivity in the contract, take fifty fifty and manage them solely. The peculiarity to me is just the timing. I think that's what got people so buzzed about this. Because this is on the heels of the whole XOCBX saga I broke down in the episode called Blooming Days, where a similar excuse was given and turned out to be kind of false. Or misleading, at least. This time, honestly, I think genuinely that is the case. Or more likely to be the real case. So before, SM Entertainment said, hey, a bad actor was trying to poach our group. Then they apologize for believing a tip they shouldn't have that spread that rumor. This time now, a tract is saying this other company did the same thing that SM had been doing recently. So naturally people were a bit suspicious because the timing is just such a weird coincidence. It looks like they took inspiration for a lie from the other companies when I don't think that's the case. But you see where the fodder for conspiratorial speculation is there. It's also just odd because this started out so amicable. That's the big difference. With the SM accusation, it was a new agency is trying to insert themselves into our business. Here, what's odd is that Attract is saying, this company we willingly entered business with is now trying to interfere in our business. So that adds a weird wrinkle to the story. Quote, "through slanderous accusations against us and glorified flattery about themselves these external forces are committing an illegal act of inducing our agency's artists to make the wrong decision to ignore their valid exclusive contracts and side contracts with them" Unquote. Another interesting difference is that Attract has kept this story more closely contained and singular because the Attract CEO gave an interview as an exclusive to Sports Chosun Whereas the SM Entertainment lawsuit and back and forth, that was publicized to a ton of media outlets. The press release was meant to be widely distributed. There is a team of managers called The Givers. June 27, 2023, Attract filed a criminal complaint against The Givers, this group of a former co-CEO and three other unnamed people, accusing them of obstruction of business, fraud, and breach of duty. And they also hinted, additional accusations could be forthcoming should more information lead them to that. The charges include a claim that one of them was deleting receipts, basically, deleting emails and other material that should have been kept available, plus delaying transfers of money, materials, regarding copyright. So it's not just accusations of poaching the group, but basically the song copyright further hit Cupid. Attract also claimed the online fan cafe for Fifty Fifty was shut down, messed with, due to, again, external forces. So they accused them of going so far as to try to be like, if we can't have you, no one can, and interrupt their scheduled activities under Attract. Separately, there apparently have been issues even before that, because before the date of the official criminal filing, Fifty Fifty apparently filed a complaint against a tract, saying that the agency was careless exposing personal information, plus made them promote through poor health, and withheld financial info. The group themselves cannot make any official statement as this case is ongoing, so anything you hear coming from them is actually basically from their legal reps. So because of them having issues with the agency and the agency having issues with their other agency, their rapid fire momentum for one hit song, really catapulting them to super rookie status already, that momentum has really been kind of dented. They did still release the Barbie OST for the Barbie movie, but apparently their music video plan for it was scrapped. Their Kate Connolly appearance was scrapped. Their big variety show appearance was scrapped. They were also set to be part of at least two major ad campaigns. Those have been scrapped, or at least postponed. They really were ready to capitalize on that hit song, and now it's turned into so much drama. In early July, an audio clip from May was made public that some people imply is kind of like a smoking gun, but honestly, the transcript of the audio to me does not at all seem like it's really anything we didn't know. Like, some people say it kind of shows criminality. The audio is a snippet of a talk between the Attract CEO and Warner Music Korea's executive director about a potential buyout of the group. And the Warner CEO says he offered an amount to buy them. And then the Attract CEO says, no one told me you were going to do that. I guess what still gives me pause is just the voluntary, original, cordial relationship between the companies. And now when he says, I offered to buy the group, and the CEO says, this is news to me, to me, that's not like we were blindsided. It actually kind of proves the opposite, that they had a heads up, hey, we're offering to buy the group. I just don't think it proves what anyone says it does there's a lot of context missing do i think warner proposed a buyout yeah maybe but do i think attract was as shocked as they claim to be now by the decision not really do i think the use of language like external forces was taken from seeing what happened with xo and sm entertainment using that language maybe and maybe on accident but it was subconsciously picked up and used here I don't know. So much unknown. My biggest issue at the end of the day is not even the tape or who broke a promise or didn't. It's what happens to 50-50. Because imagine you're having a dream come true moment and business disputes are squandering it in real time. You're watching in real time your dream opportunities be put on hold at least so I just feel so bad for them and hope whatever's going on can be resolved. Hopefully now it does look more like the XO case where it oddly just becomes water under the bridge really quickly and everyone's like, we reached an agreement, we talked it out, it's all good. Let's have that weird storybook ending here. Let's just hurry wrap this up, let them get back on track and thriving. Now let's move from talking about IRL drama to scripted drama and other just programming, live show, TV, and movie updates. A new series, premiering July 13th, is from JYP, Republic Records, and Federal Films. Streaming on YouTube, it's called A2K, America to Korea. Basically, the premise is K-pop system version of American Idol, to find the next girl group the first girl group of its kind, to be an American group made through a K-pop style boot camp. Basically, it sounds just like American Idol with different lingo. So, instead of a golden ticket pass like on Idol, you can win the A2K pendant. Interestingly, according to the press release, the four key traits judges are looking for for this girl group. Dancing, singing, character, and star quality. I just find that interesting, character and star quality being separated. Anyway, you can visit americatokorea.com for more info, as well as just checking out the show on YouTube. It is a good time, programming-wise, to be an end-citizen, because first of all, the reality show that will help create the final subunit is coming July 27th, at least in the US, South Korea, and Japan. You can watch the show. It's called NCT Universe Last Art. Last art, like one word. Starting July 27th, and the artist-directors, as they're called, will be Boa and Eun There will be others, too. Other SM artists are set to make cameos. And then, August 30th, NCT 127's The Lost Boys Disney Plus Project comes out. Plus TXT's Disney Plus Project is out July 28th, 4 p.m. Korean Standard Time. Shiny's documentary My Shiny World is coming this September. Squid Game Season two officially cast, Joe Yuri and Top, Suga's D Day Encore Show, In Seoul will have a live stream option that's set for august fourth through sixth. Kwon Unbi is set to replace Wendy on the Unstreet Radio Show. Vanner, winners of the show Peak Time, now have a show called Picnic Time, a travelogue style show. You could check it out on the GoGoSing YouTube channel. KCon announced their showcase artists. Day 1, Limelight and 8 Turn. Day 2, Craxy and Very Very. Day 3, Just B and XG. Craxy have really impressed me. 8 Turn is also, I think, a must watch. And Just B, I've grown to respect just so much more ever since they stood in solidarity with Omega X. Really rooting for just B and Omega X. That'd be cool if they could come too. Last programming update. Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos recently visited South Korea. And he talked about his desire to just continue capitalizing on the popularity of K-content. He talked about learning so much about K-cinema from Bong Joon-ho. He touted a partnership with local South Korean students who are just starting out in production. He said that between 2022 and 2025, one in five Korean Netflix titles will have come from a first-time writer or director. He also said 60% of Netflix users have watched at least one Korean title, and that over the last four years, K-Content viewing on the platform is up six-fold. And both the shows All of Us Are Dead and The Glory entered Netflix's top 10 in over 90 countries each. He also recalled how much of a cultural juggernaut squid game became, even pushing up searches for van sneakers and sales by nearly 8,000%. Now, I cannot talk about Netflix right now without also addressing the issues. So I'm telling you what he's saying in his term offensive in South Korea right now. But for good reasons, people are not happy with him in the U.S. right now. I dive into the details of The Writer's Strike on an upcoming episode of Enthusiast. The Writer's Strike, pay your frickin' writers better, period. Prove that you actually care about what they're making. Not just the money, the creativity. The currency they gave you, not just financial. Last main topic before getting to just a smorgasbord of other topics, I want to take a moment to say, rest in peace, Coco Lee. She took her own life and was pronounced dead July 5th at age 48. She was really a special person. She was a famous singer-songwriter who really crossed into America. She's most well known for being the first Chinese American to perform at the Academy Awards. She sang a love before time. She also sang the Mandarin version of Reflection for that version of Mulan. She also became known for songs for the World Cup and the Summer Olympics. And she was Chanel's first Chinese ambassador, a movie star, a judge on shows. She was the first Chinese singer to get a global deal with Sony. She signed with them. Eventually, she started her own agency. She was an AIDS educator and ambassador. She released well over a dozen studio albums. I could go on and on. She leaves behind two stepdaughters. Pending an autopsy, her funeral, has been scheduled for August at the earliest. If I hear of places around the world you can pay your specs, just as a fan, I will let you know on the show for sure. And I also just want to give a PSA today. Please, if you are in need of support and help, visit findahelpline.com for what number works for your country. There is always a suicide prevention hotline for you, there's always someone there to talk, and you're not alone, and I just wish the world would really destigmatize talking about this because it affects so many of us. So many deaths of despair in this world. We shouldn't have to carry any burden alone. You never know behind the scenes what accomplishments are not meaningful to them because there's something happening in their brain that prevents them from enjoying the fruits of their labor. Rest in peace, Coco Lee. There is no good transition, so I'm not going to really make one. We're just going to hard pivot into other news of the week. HYBE revealed some interesting release dates via a Goldman Sachs report. One of the pros of being public is that then the company has a lot more available info to get. So now we know in quarter three, planned releases include New Genes, TXT, and V. Then quarter four releases from 17, n Jungkook, and Lay Seraphim. All that super subject to change, but that's the preview as of recording time. Speaking of Hybe, a loyalty survey was conducted by Upgraded Points, a group who looked at responses from fans of 10 different artists to figure out which of the 10 artists chosen for the survey have the most dedicated fan base. So the fans who took the survey basically gave points based on their answers, like how far would you be willing to travel to see them in concert? How much would you be willing to pay on this type of merch, etc.? Then each artist got a score out of 100 based on those totals, and BTS won that survey with 88.4 points. Here's the rest of the survey from 1st place to 10th place. BTS, Michael Jackson, Elton John, Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, Queen, Lana Del Rey, Beyoncé, Eminem, Harry Styles. Okay, I definitely thought Beyoncé would be way higher. Also odd that Michael Jackson is number two, just because on questions about, like, new releases and how far you'll travel to watch him live seems kind of irrelevant to ask fans about that, but... Also, whenever I share survey results that are interesting, I share them because they are interesting. But I also love to add the technical caveats because I'm a nerd. So the limitations on this survey are the fact that only Americans were participating. So I'd be curious how many fans feel the same way if this were a global undertaking, or just bigger in general, with tens of thousands instead of thousands of responses. A K-pop themed high school is set to open in Busan by 2028. This news is super early, so just know that I don't have many details for you, just that this is an official confirmed plan. It's not that the details are so under wraps, but not even formulated yet. Still very early planning, but it is in the early stages. It's being considered the first of its kind, So I guess somewhat similar to the Seoul School of Performing Arts, one like a Hollywood arts type school where a lot of people who want to get into K-pop go, but also kind of different. I know there was a K-pop themed school set up in 2020, but this one in Busan is calling itself the first of its kind. So still lots of questions. The tentative start date would be March, 2028. And the tentative construction start date, January, 27. International eligibility will be open. Hwasa left RBW Entertainment upon contract expiration and joined P-Nation in such a boss way by signing the papers right on stage, mid-performance. I think she's still doing stuff with Mamamoo, but the phrasing was weird because RBW statement said, quote, we will continue to provide our full support so that Mamamoo-like activities can continue individually and together, unquote. Mamamoo-like activities, not Mamamoo activities? I may be reading too much into it. Omega X signed with IPQ, aka Picturesque. Blackberry Creative continues to kind of move into obscurity, frankly. Sunny's contract with them expired, so she left. And Luna continued to disperse. Hustle signed with Mod House, as did several others. Yujin, Olivia, Gowon, Hyunjin, and Vivi are now all at CTDENM. They are free, but kind of spread out. Brave Girls, rebranded as BB Girls, are now working with Helix Publicity, who have also worked with 8-Turn and Very Very. BAE 173's Nam Hyun won his lawsuit, so his contract is officially terminated with Pocket Doll Studio. IOI member Lim Yeon has signed with Ascendio. VICTON member Subin signed with Echo Global Group. Treasure NYG Entertainment signed a big partnership deal with Columbia Records. Huan He from Uptension signed a contract with PA Entertainment. And P1 Harmony signed with CAA for US Rep. CAA is one of the biggest agencies basically out there, and that's different from like a music label. So FNC Entertainment is still the same. Lots of 17 updates. June's release Psycho is everything. Again, my only gripe about it is how short it is. Just extend the instrumental at least for like 10, 20 more seconds. Vernon is the new global ambassador for Kenzo. He also started a radio show on Apple with Joshua called Summer Vacation with Joshua and Vernon. Wanwu and DK cover Men's No-No Japan. June covers an issue of Home Plus China. And they performed at the 10 Cent Awards and won two awards there, one of them specifically for June, as a Distinguished Singer-Songwriter of the Year. And 17 officially have the Korean album with the highest sales. Yeah, they broke BTS's record for Map of the Soul 7. So now FML has sold over 6.2 million copies and counting in just over two months. Good grief, I'm so excited for them. That's huge. Unfortunately, someone who cannot fully appreciate the moment is Seung-Gwan, is on a health-related hiatus. I have a feeling it's still he's mourning and coping with his pal Moonbin's death. Really hope people are checking in on him. The rest of today's updates in the world of K-pop, I'm gonna keep super quick. So, lightning round here, get ready, here's what else has happened. Blackpink have a new Starbucks collection. New Blackpink brand tumblers, pouches, keychains, etc. coming to a Starbucks near you. On the Music Future 25 list, From Rolling Stone include Bombing Tiger and New Jeans. The boys are the newest Korean culture and info service ambassadors. I've now rep Puma for the Asia-Pacific region. Extinary Heroes revealed their light stick. Billy will be part of the lineup for the Kansai Collection Fall-Winter Show, one of Japan's biggest fashion shows, August 6th. SM Entertainment has officially launched the Kwanya 119 hotline to report on tips related to misinformation, other issues with management, treatment of their artists. They fulfilled one promise, fingers crossed, they fulfill others too. One whom is getting married to a non-celeb in August. He's from Nerazo. Don Woon from Highlight is getting married as well to a non-celeb in September. Fantasy Boys announced their fan club name, The Bandy, B-A-N-D-I. All the ONF members have returned from the military, and now someone else is enlisting, Jin Huan from Icon. Yu J-Suk just became the third largest shareholder in Antenna Music. New to Instagram, Dio from EXO, Ji Sun from NCT, and Soo Jin from g Twice became the first female act to ever headline a sold-out MetLife stadium show. Zero Base 1 are all the buzz already, they just debuted, but now they've already surpassed a million album pre-orders making history for a rookie group. TXT are the first K-pop boy group in Spotify's history to get every single title track with over 100 million streams. P1 Harmony earned their first ever entry on the Billboard 200 chart with Harmony All-In. ATEEZ are the first non-Big Four companies group to sell over a million album copies in one week, thanks to the World Episode 2 Outlaw. Sana now the super luxe brand Graph. Lisa from Blackpink now has over 95 million Instagram followers, and Blackpink's Boombayah just surpassed 1.6 billion with a B views. I'll leave it there for now. Thank you all so much for always listening and reading and being part of this special community, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!